welcome back to That's Kind of Wavy. We're your hosts. I'm Nikki. I'm Jill. And I'm Shaysal. And thank you for tuning in this week. We're actually recording on Mother's Day today. So what did you guys do today with your moms? Um, so I went shopping with my mom today. We went to a couple different stores. That was really nice, honestly. I haven't done that with my mom in a in a little while. So it was kind of cool to just do a nice, like, chill Mother's Day type deal. And then we ate dinner with my dad tonight. Oh, so lovely. that was nice. Nice. Literally shopping with your mom just hits different. <laughs> right? It really does, though. It really does bring you back. It was your experience, too. Um, when I was little, it's something I did with my mom a lot. We would just go to the mall and stuff. And, I mean, you can, you know, get things that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. So that's always lit. Right. Yeah. I know. That's My mom and I would always go to Kohl's. That Aww. was our. Yes. Yes. I love that Kohl's. Is a, that is a very, like, parent store. Right. Yeah. Like, you don't go alone to Kohl's. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So, nice. Shaysaw, what about you? Um, it was good. It feels like it didn't happen, even though I just got home from it like a half ago. Um, it was nice. Like we got brunch this morning at this place called Etta, which is so good. My mom and I always go there whenever like we get dinner or lunch or something around here. It's super close to me. And it's like one of those places where you leave and you're like, I am so impressed by this food. Like, obviously we all know what good food is like and stuff. And we enjoy food for the most part, but something yeah. about this place, it's like, oh this is quality um so that was fun we had a lot of good food and um then we went home to the suburbs spent time with my grandma my aunt my cousins um and yeah it was chill oh what a nice family fun day right yeah mine wasn't quite as eventful but that's like how my family does it uh my I went to my parents my dad made brunch and I actually introduced my parents to Nathan for you. Yes. Um, of course. They, yeah. They, cause they love that type of like deadpan humor. Like I know that show is obviously like not like Saturday Night Live and that it's not a skit, but it's kind of like, I feel like it's like that generation of comedy. Like, yeah. Whereas like, I don't know, like Cody Co is like new generation comedy. Yeah. If yeah. that makes sense. And so they really like that like era of comedy. So they like, loved it and then we actually me and my mom also watched Cody Go because <laughs> nice. she loves him and then um she helped me cut my hair and then Aww, I left oh. yeah cute little bonding time but yeah then I left in the afternoon it was lovely wow. okay speaking of Nathan for you I haven't thought about it that way but I guess you're right about it being like more of like an older generation thing but at the same time what's so special about it is that it really bridges the gap because like you said someone like Cody Ko who we obviously love like he still would be more of our humor and it's less accessible for older generations but Nathan for you is just he just does it for everyone that's like intelligent enough to understand why that's cringe pick up on the nuance (laughs) exactly it's like as long as you can pick up on it you get it right yeah no and that's why I like knew my parents would like it because like they love like well they really like like sarcasm um and like deadpan humor and stuff and like not that he's like sarcastic but like basically the whole show is sarcastic right (laughs) right the show itself so um yeah they were really into it so it's always fun showing them stuff like 
don't know it feels cool to show your parents something new that they end up liking yeah i'm like wow look at me like being a real human finding things that you didn't know about yeah your parents know everything so which ones did you show them which episodes i we just watched dumb starbucks because i felt like that was like like very like accessible yeah Yeah. like even like i felt like it's a good way to be exactly um so yeah because it is still like really awkward but the whole show is just about like dumb starbucks and it's like kind of cool that he ended up like on the news and stuff yeah yeah like that was an actual thing (laughs) it's pretty cool (laughs) that happened yeah so yeah all right so today we're gonna talk about attachment styles which is kind of like i feel like that's fitting can yeah yeah, relate to your relationship with your parents to a certain extent but yeah i mean do you guys you guys know a little bit more about like i don't know the finer details about it um if you want to kind of give an overview of what they are sure um well the first time that i heard about attachment styles was i think like an ap psychology because it was mainly used in terms of like infant attachment styles and it had to do with how you related to your parent So one of the first studies on um, attachment styles was with infants, and I can't remember that much about it because I learned about it so long ago, but it was something like you leave your infant at this study and like you're the mom waiting in this like room with a window where you can look and see what your kid does. And for example, if the kid starts crying right away and like wants to come back to their mom, that kid was found to have an anxious attachment style. I think if if it was a kid with an avoidant attachment style then they would like they wouldn't really care that the mom left and when she came back they wouldn't like run to her or anything i mean infants wouldn't run but you know what i mean (laughs) yeah Um, and i i think the secure attachment style for infants would have been that the mom leaves and like they're fine but she comes back and they're like happy to see her However, like infant attachment styles are very different from the attachment styles that we know as adults. Um, And there have been studies that have found that the attachment styles that we see now as adults aren't solely based on what styles we had as children. Like, yes, our upbringing matters, but what also matters is, I guess, your life experiences, especially romantic experiences as, as an adult. So... Yeah, that's that's the origin of attachment styles, but it gets it gets pretty in depth and pretty interesting. Yeah. Jill, would you would you like to start with an anxious attachment style? Okay. Do we just wanna like give a wide overview? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I guess we should list like so the three attachment styles are anxious. Oh yeah. Secure and avoidant. Um, and obviously a secure relationship or secure attachment style is the most stable because you're secure in the relationship and then anxious and avoidant have downsides like different issues but they can also yeah but they can also still be like a healthy relationship it's just um a little there's going to be a few more complications in it yes you would say right right so anxious attachment styles we have them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah we we know them like the back of our hand for at least real chase l and i for sure um yeah. nikki i i think you're secure I, yeah i'm i definitely have a secure attachment with chris when my when i have m- bad mental health days it kind of turns to anxious but i think that that's more of like i need validation and like yeah you know like is everything okay because it feels like 
you know right not, it's not necessarily based off of like Him. the actual relationship evidence it's more so based off of your mental state at that time which makes sense yeah yeah and that's yeah i exactly. think that's very normal i do kind of um i used to have anxious attachment with friends because i like growing up my f- friendships were like chaotic and so it made me not feel like I had like stable friendships. And actually I was saying this to Shaysel last night. I realized we've talked about how I have like a very small circle of friends that is on purpose. And it's definitely like because if I'm not really close with somebody, it becomes an anxious attachment. And I don't want anxious attachments because they like aren't enjoyable. So by having a few people I'm close with, then they're all secure attachments. And that's like more enjoyable to me to just have like secure themselves with a few people right than to have like a bigger web which I do get envious of but I just know like that I'm obsessed with like where do I stand with them as a friend you know do they actually yeah. like me yeah which is anxious attachment so right yeah I get that like you don't want to have the stress of a, of a friendship affect your daily life so I understand like exactly just making the, the decision to have a smaller group of people around you yeah exactly yeah yeah, so disclaimer, though, before we start this, I just want to say that your attachment style can change over yes. years, and also it can change depending on whatever relationship you're in. Like, we're only we're only as needy as our unmet needs, like, wait, what, how do, how do I say that? <laughs> no, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's, I don't, I guess I don't know how to phrase it either, but, like, you're only as needy as needs that your needs that aren't being met there's I can't find the right way of saying that but same sentiment just that like if if your emotions aren't being met then you're gonna feel and act out maybe a little more especially if you have an anxious attachment style because you do feel needy and then you seem needy even though your basic needs aren't being met right and individuals aren't needy it's like situations yeah yeah exactly because a lot of the time, anxious attachment style people will find themselves in relationships with avoidant attachment styles, and that can just lead to this whole this whole attachment style theory, like, becoming distressed in that type of relationship, and it can just, like, exacerbate both of the styles and make the relationship seem very toxic at times and just very overall stressful. If you guys aren't aware of these things and you aren't aware of how to deal with each other's attachment styles... So, you know, depending on the relationship, like if you are in a relationship with an avoidant person and you're anxious, you'll probably see yourself not getting the reactions you would like from your partner and not being at least as like understood as you would hope to be if if you were in a relationship with a secure person. So a little bit of an overview of an anxious attachment style. Um, In this book that we read, Shaysel and I have read it, it's called attached um, and it's by Dr. Amir Levine and Rachel S.F. Heller. Um, so in this book I think that Shaysel put down this quote um, if you're anxious you have the innate ability to sense when your relationship is being threatened you're very sensitive to relationships and people's emotions towards you so you can become like super super hyper aware of the things that your partner says and the actions that they take towards you and you can take these thoughts and overanalyze them and just forget to give people the benefit of the doubt in these types of situations and think completely negatively about your relationship. So 
it can sometimes affect your ability to like think rationally about if your partner is actually mad at you or if they're losing interest in you or something like that your your mind will just go crazy and think that like the littlest things are them trying to show you that they don't like you anymore so yeah so like a lot of people with anxious attachment styles need a lot of reassurance and validation from their partners um I know that I personally need a lot more like words of reassurance or physical touch to like make me know for sure that my partner does value me and respects me and like appreciates me. Um, If I'm not receiving those things, then it can lead to me feeling very insecure in a relationship and that can really make my anxious attachment style act up in response to that. Yes. You gonna make me act up? Yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> the same thing happens to me. And it's it's difficult. Aside from attachment science and what we know about it, the whole reassurance-seeking thing is tricky. Um, so for my capstone class at Miami, which is like your senior thesis class, basically, it was a capstone about depression. And my thesis paper was about interpersonal relationships and depression and like how each affects the others. And one of the things that I focus on in that paper is reassurance seeking and how it's actually really bad for people with depression and anxiety to do that with their relationships. Because I mean, obviously, I I do need reassurance like I words of affirmation are my number one love number one love language and if I don't get them then I feel like I'm not loved and I'm constantly worried about that but at the same time with reassurance seeking you can it's just a slippery slope you can very easily ask for it too much and when that happens whether it's a platonic situation or a romantic one then the other person starts to get annoyed naturally to an extent it affects your relationship which is a self-fulfilling prophecy and, the, and then that relationship is affected, so then your depression gets worse, which makes it harder for you to, like, have good relationships. And it's just, like, this never-ending cycle. And the thing with reassurance-seeking that's difficult is that even that reassurance, it makes you depend on someone else to give you that reassurance as opposed to finding it from yourself. So that's just, like, something that is difficult in general, general for people with mental health struggles. But even more so if you have an anxious attachment style – it's it's hard it's hard to find that balance between needing reassurance from someone and like never feeling like it's enough you know and that's that's where like you finding security within you comes in but also needing to have a partner hopefully one that has a secure attachment style that will be understanding and can still help you with that extra reassurance right right that's the goal definitely well and I would say when Chris and I first started dating I definitely had more of an anxious attachment style um and then now, actually, in June, it's going to be six years, which is so long. Damn. It's weird. But, uh, yeah. Um, and I think that, like, he he has always had a secure attachment style. And so it definitely, like, rubs off, off on you. Where I'd be, you know, like, oh, my gosh, is everything okay? Are you upset? And he would be like, why do you always think? I'm-? Like, he just wouldn't get it. You know, he was like, why do you always think I'm upset? Like, everything's fine. You know, we're okay. He would He wouldn't get it in, like, a good way. Um, and it made it be like oh yeah we're fine why am I you know and it was made it easier to recognize when I was more in my head and then obviously it's not easy to like break free of that but yeah having a secure attachment partner to point out when you're kind of being anxious makes it easier for you to then recognize it and work on it yourself Right. right right and someone that like meets that without anger 
because I think that yeah. that's yes. that's something at least you find from people that are avoidant. They don't they don't like to have like these conversations about open and honest communication about your feelings and like just that type of type of stuff because that's exactly what they want to avoid. They don't want right. emotional intimacy. So having those conver- those conversations is really difficult for them because they just all together like shut down. Which we'll yeah. we'll get more into that in a second, but some of the types of ways that anxious attachment styles can what's the word I'm looking for? Like manifest. Yeah, right. They can sometimes show up as like quote unquote neediness. I don't like that word, but like that's how other people would describe it. Um, neediness or like possessiveness or jealousy sometimes just because of the the fact that your mind can start to think irrationally when you don't get these types of emotional reassurance that you need, especially if they're an avoidant person. It just leaves you feeling very, very unsure about things and can lead you to be, I don't know, you, you can start to, sh- to have these characteristics that certain people don't exactly find attractive or I don't know yeah. if that's the well, right and word, but... I feel like it's more of like they are just like stress inducing characteristics in the sense of like you are clearly in distress so it causes your partner distress right so it's not like necessarily like you are a problem it just becomes like these anxious thoughts obviously are going to make you anxious which is a stressful situation yeah yeah Yeah. and like relationships like especially when you start are supposed to be like fun and honeymoony and stuff like that and if you can't provide that then people are going to be like you know especially if they're avoidant are not going to be into that Yeah. And actually, since you brought that up, that reminds me something about anxious attachments too, is that when you're used to being with an avoidant partner, which tends to happen with people with this attachment style and vice versa, is that you like, you start to think that that's what love is like. You start to think that like loving someone is, I don't know, you confuse the anxiety with excitement and stuff. And then when you find someone that's secure, it can't boring almost because you're not used to stability you're used to this like constant longing for the person like you don't fully have them so it's almost like the chase is always there but it's not good to have that chase in a relationship like you should feel secure with them right yeah I remember the book talking about how sometimes when anxious people get into a relationship with a secure person they like think that they don't actually like them because they're not used to not getting those mixed signals that sometimes people mistake as being like exciting or very intriguing in in people before they realize that that's actually like so unhealthy for them yeah yeah I don't know it it's it's a difficult situation to get out of like it's just very much a vicious cycle when you're stuck in in a relationship that like keeps these anxieties up all the time well and I feel like it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah yeah Yeah. wait Jill are you gonna say something I was just gonna say that it definitely can be if you're not aware. Yeah. 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 If you if you aren't like working on it, then right. it's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to annoy them so much that they leave me or something like that. And then if you're like not working on it and constantly like worked up and stuff like that and constantly having these stress conversations and can't place your finger on what the cause is, then yeah, that's not going to yeah. be a good relationship. I think it's right. just, it's also being aware of like when... <laughs> when that anxious attachment is being like activated it, it it's helpful to at least be able to recognize the types of ways that they can manifest in yourself in these in your, your relationships so I think it's 
it's really great to like be aware and just know how they manifest in yourself and be able to understand like when you should maybe be asking yourself if you're being rational or if your brain is like being clouded by your attachment style yes and it becomes difficult when there are situations where you go through that whole process in your head you're like okay this is my anxious attachment style there's no actual evidence that something wrong is happening in the relationship like there's no threat but then if you find yourself in a situation you're not expecting something to happen like at least rationally but it does then it's just like how do you trust that it's not going to happen again you know it's like it's hard to trust what's rational when there when there are situations that occur in your life that are just so irrational which I've found myself in as you guys know in a lot of relationships where it's like this would never happen like that's just like it's like you know the most extreme anxious thought where it's like okay this is just like you're finding the greatest catastrophe possible and then it happens and it's like well who was right here (laughs) you know the anxiety your anxiety is like I told you right also I have some words on neediness and the whole concept of that yeah which I, I want to start off by saying that Ari said it best in her song called needy when she says tell me how good it feels to be needed because why why is that a bad thing like I understand from a psychological perspective if you have an avoidant attachment style if you like don't want that intimacy because you're self-reliant and are afraid of intimacy I I don't know it's like I get it from that perspective a little bit but like isn't it so loving for someone to like need you and to like rely on you to to an extent obviously in a healthy way I don't know I I don't understand this whole idea and this this like image we've created in society of like neediness being bad and all of those like just like dating advice that you'd read in magazines when you were younger and even like dating books will say things like basically like acting aloof like you don't really care but like yeah playing it cool and like kind of playing these mind games and something I love about this book attached is that they talk about how like especially if you have an anxious attachment style you should not do that at all like first of all accept that your needs are your needs period that's not good or bad and in the book they mention that like they recognize that it's been portrayed as bad in society but like it's not it just is and once you recognize that you realize okay I have to be honest about my my needs so that I don't find another avoidant partner it's and like for some reason I don't know why in movies everything I mean honestly it goes back to misogyny the cool girl trope it's all that shit women are always the needy one not yeah yeah Yeah. I I don't understand I mean I I could talk about that for us it's I've been so affected by it in my life I don't get it and along those lines with just like dating culture, I, it's crazy to me that it's like totally fine to be like, I don't want anything serious, which is fine. Like if that's what you need, like you should be honest about that. But for some reason, the second that you're like, I'm looking for something more serious, it, it's, you're, you're like weird and you're needy. And it's like, why, why is it bad to want that? But it's okay to just like want to hook up with people and that's it which is again that's fine I just I just don't understand why this was ever created it really is just an excuse for people to like for men to like do what they want to do right and just dictate everything and like make women seem like they're needy and inferior yeah well and it's weird because like in the 
past if you were like i don't want anything serious i just want to hook up like that was like horrific you know like you were a degenerate so it's like when did the flip switch or the switch flip (laughs) like when did that happen to make it the other way because i i know it was like obviously gradual but what it's good that it's more accepting like you said to not want something serious but then when did it become like the better way to do it yeah right i mean i don't know i can't speak on this like in a historical way because there there has to be like some type of historic reason like along with like women's rights movements and something along those lines but just like the way that media has changed over the past 30 or so years i think like movies from the 2000s compared to movies from like the 80s are just so overt and raunchy about sex and about like relationships and that type of way that i think that it skewed society's minds about monogamy and made it seem like it's strange to want to be monogamous now just because so many movies and like media were making it seem like it's so cool to be a player if you're a man and to like play the field and to try to sleep with as many women as possible and make that like your big goal in life basically yeah well and and yeah sorry keep going if you have more to say no that's okay you can can speak (laughs) i'm very free love (laughs) so i don't think it's weird to want to be monogamous at all but that's just not like my personal like philosophy on life is that like I wouldn't necessarily want to be but um it's weird that it's like you can't want to be monogamous but also me seeing things like that is also weird you have to want to be single and like having fun and letting loose yeah you know it's like I can't want what I want and like you also but you also can't want like a serious relationship right like that's that's what I feel like is also so weird because in the past, like, not even five years, I think in the past, like, two or so years, the idea of polygamy is becoming more normalized, I would say, and especially in the younger generations. Definitely. I would I see it all the time, people talking about, like, they're poly or they're open, and that's completely yeah. fine. Like, that's so normal if you're going to be honest about it and be upfront with people and have boundaries set and, you know, just be completely open about wanting that with your partner, then I think that's completely fine, but... It's another thing that society's also, like, I don't want to say that they are playing up the idea of cheating on your partner, but I think that it's becoming, I mean, it's not even, like, more normalized because it's always been a thing that people just didn't really talk about, but it's just strange to me that the idea of polygamy and, like, the idea of disliking monogamy are going hand in hand, but at the right. same time, like, not together like they're they're different movements and they're both conflicting each other but at the same time like playing off of each other yeah i agree it's strange it's kind of messing with relationships these days like it's it's hard to navigate relationships as a young person right now because it's just it it feels uncomfortable to want to be open about your needs and about what you want out of a relationship whether you want to be monogamous or like continue to see other people I don't know why that feels so uncomfortable but it just I don't know it does and I feel like people make you seem like the bad guy if you want to have those conversations yeah yeah, definitely I I remember when I got out of like my longest relationship which was three years it was my senior year of college 
I remember when I started dating, it felt it felt so strange because I I pre- presented this idea where, or like I created this idea in my mind where I needed to be this cool girl that like didn't have these needs. So I thought that I purposely had to like stay detached and seem that way so that I wouldn't seem needy. And I remember having to ask if it was like cool to be affectionate and stuff, which is like fine to do because you should be communicative with your partner. But I asked it in a way that was like, oh, like we're not officially dating, which means like I can't show any emotion towards you. Right. Because that's what I've been taught is what people do now when they're dating. It's just I don't know. It's it's all so strange to me. And it's been very unfortunate for someone who's very monogamous and loves relationships, which also another thing about that that I've recognized recently recently is that with girl boss feminism and all that shit, <laughs> I I hate that there's this idea that like you can be an in or you should be an independent woman that doesn't need anyone and all this shit, which like, yeah, that is a great sentiment to express for people who like are single and stuff and like if you're down about a breakup or something. But it it's made me feel bad about wanting to be in a relationship. Like I know I take my time between relationships and everything. I process things. I know that there's growth to come from that. But at the end of the day, I'm happiest in relationships. Like I can be happy alone. I know how to be happy alone. It's just like I can be happier with that. But for some reason that makes you seem in, in this type of feminism, it makes you seem like you're less than or not doing enough and like almost like less feminist for some reason and like dependent on someone. And that's not the case. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that have you seen the me? clip? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just, have you, you might, I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to say the same thing. Have you seen the clip of Cher talking about men? <laughs> um, yes. Where the interviewer is like, you know, what are your thoughts on men? And she's like, they're like dessert. Like, they're like whatever. I forget exactly what it was, but she compared them to dessert. And she's like, oh, I love dessert. I love men, but you don't need them. But like, I want them. You know, I feel like right. that's yeah. like, that's exactly how you should look at it. And I feel like now there's a lot of like, like the girl boss, I mean, like people now call it like, they're like gatekeeping girl boss. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, you can't even love it either. You know, like, I feel like that's a good way to look at it is like, you don't need it to survive. Like, you don't need a partner to survive, but you can love it and want it, you know, like, and it makes the night better if you have dessert. But yeah, right. now it's like you're not allowed to even want that. And yeah. it's weird. Right. I was going to mention that in the book, they talk about this thing called the dependency paradox, which is basically like if you're effectively dependent on someone, not not codependent, but if you are effectively dependent on another person in a relationship, then you guys become more independent and you're you're able to to grow more as individuals while being like encouraged by your connection with each other preach yes yeah so bars yeah like you don't have to feel (laughs) stifled in a in a nice like dependent loving relationship you can feel more able to grow as a person and like go out and do your own hobbies while also still feeling secure that you have your relationship there at the end of the day Right. I feel like that's actually a good segue into avoidant attachment styles because with avoidant attachment styles, one thing they really talk about in the book is that they confuse self-reliance with independence and they're not the same thing. Like what you described in that paradox shows that you can be independent and depend on people. Right. But self-reliance is different. Self-reliance is like, I don't need anyone. And that's just like not true. 
there was a study that they mentioned that people who have this attachment style do tend to be more confident, have like greater self, self esteem and stuff. But then they also scored significantly lower than other people on things like closeness and relationships and things like that, at least in my opinion, opinion are what makes life the most meaningful. So I, I, I mean, I can't understand it because being emotionally avoidant is like quite literally the opposite of my entire essence. Um, but I don't know. It's just hard to conceptualize how anyone that's like that would, I mean, I guess they might not be aware of it. I was going to say how they could be comfortable with being that way. Cause I, I just can't imagine going about my life realizing that I'm like that and not thinking that I should change. But like, I don't know, I guess that goes back to people wanting like being stuck in their ways. Cause change is scary and yeah. you're avoidant for a reason. And the only way to like change that is to let intimacy in and that's just kind of that's their whole problem yeah well and I feel like since they're avoidant they're going to be avoidant within themselves too of like yeah that self-reflection is going to feel icky of like what am I doing wrong essentially or like where am I at fault not that like you're a terrible person if you have the avoidant style but obviously it's going to negatively affect your relationships so then to turn around and look inwards like again they're going to avoid that within themselves yeah so Shaysel, do you want to give a bit of an overview about avoidant styles? Yes. So some key factors are that they always keep people at a distance. There's always this like, I mean, we all are familiar with the grass is greener mentality and we've all experienced that to an extent, but this really happens for them in relationships. Like it's like they want something and then once they have it, they just like, they just don't want it anymore. And they're like, why is this the case? Which also the whole grass is greener thing. I saw this quote like a special one it's like known but I saw it a while ago and it was like the grass is greener where you water it and I'm like yes like things aren't gonna be perfect all the time with wherever you are in life you just have to choose to commit to something or someone Um, but they they struggle with that especially Um, they also like with any partner they typically maintain some mental distance and an escape route so they never they never fully let anyone in which for someone with like an anxious attachment style, that's like really bad because you're you're constantly craving that closeness and they just never give it to you. And the second that you have even a glimpse of that, you latch onto that and like you don't realize that that's actually happening really infrequently. Um, another thing that they tend to do is they focus on small imperfections and they don't realize why they, like – I know that some people who have this attachment style sometimes struggle. They're aware that this is a struggle, that they're so emotionally avoidant and they want to change it and and they just don't get why they do things like focus on small imperfections, why they pull away when things are going well. And, and I'm mentioning that because I know like, although I've had bad experiences with like, the fact that people are emotionally avoidant, I know that people who are emotionally avoidant are like that for a reason and they have their own struggles and it, it comes back. It, it comes back to just like some issue that made made you feel like you couldn't be loved and accepted or cared for. So it's not that different than an anxious attachment style in that way and like its core insecurity, but it just presents itself very differently. Yeah, none of us, <laughs> I mean, like you said, you have experience with avoidant attachment styles, but none of us really have those. I feel like I kind of would, but again, it was like situational. I would definitely turn avoidant. Chris and I dated throughout college. I would turn avoidant like the few weeks leading up to me leaving because it was like protecting myself. Yeah. Like I would totally push him away. 
but again that's definitely like a situational thing right it's strange because sometimes like I know for sure that I have an anxious attachment style and it definitely depends on the relationship I'm in like whether or not my needs are being completely met but it's strange because I do find myself having avoidant characteristics sometimes like I definitely see myself focusing on small imperfections at times and like I definitely I don't know I just have a weird thing about sleeping where I need to like have my own space to sleep (laughs) so I'm just like I don't know like some some parts of me are wanting to stay detached from another person I don't I don't really know fully why that is yet but this is also once you're aware of these things like you can work so hard on growing exactly it's just being mindful I mean and obviously as we all know it's a long road from there but being aware of it like it really is the first step and it's it makes it that much harder when you see that people aren't aware of the things they're doing because it's like oh my god that's only the beginning and you're not even there yet which no judgment like I know that everyone's going at their own pace and like not everyone's been in therapy and we're privileged in a lot of ways so I I am very aware of that it's just some people like being blissfully unaware and I don't jive with that at all yeah yeah it's yeah it's when they essentially refuse to self-reflect yeah it's a problem yeah if they just like literally didn't realize that there was even a problem and then you're like you should probably like think about that (laughs) a little bit um that's fine right but if then they're like you know shut down and don't do it then it's like okay dude like i was giving you a chance to (laughs) have some self-improvement yeah like we're 23 24 years old we need to be honest with ourselves at this point and we need to start reflecting on the things that we know are not productive or healthy dude i know that we've talked about this a lot i i am just dumbfounded by the fact that most adults are just children with power (laughs) that haven't dealt with their shit but it's worse because they have power I Donald Trump <laughs> um, literally a perfect example <laughs> again like I understand that not everyone has the privileges we have in a lot of ways but I don't know it's just like people really be treating self-growth and mental health like it's optional and that irritates me to no end because it's like how dare you think this is optional right as a member of society in my opinion it is your duty focus on your self-growth and being a good communicator and a good person because that in my opinion that's that's what makes you a good person and like people so many people treat it like just a small part of their life it's like their day-to-day life is everything and then like maybe they can dedicate five to ten percent of their brain power to that and then in at least in my life I am the opposite I like spend almost too much time in reflection mode which clearly also leads to problems but yeah it's like I I don't get it like how is self-growth not your entire life like isn't that just our purpose I I, I don't right I don't well, get what it. it makes me think of in the newest Joker movie where he was getting help and then he gets cut off because they stopped yeah. funding that program it makes me think of like how as society like we live in a society but <laughs> we don't prioritize mental health like you're saying and so it's not even like on the individual level it's like structurally that's oh for sure the people who do want help like a lot of times can't actually get the help and it's just like can't you see that that's that's everything like yeah if if we are all stable and communicative and aware of our emotions we're not going to do terrible things 
right exactly or maybe maybe we'll we want to do terrible things but at least we'll be aware of it and can get help for that you know right yeah and even just like changing society in a complete roundabout way of like the way that we talk about mental health and treat it like if we were just more accepting and understanding that mental health is serious and like a thing that should be completely normal to want to prioritize then I feel like we wouldn't even have to have this conversation about like who has access to these things and who doesn't and yeah I feel like we just we would all have access to those things because we would all be aware of our self-growth and we would all be more willing to talk about our emotions and our needs if society was set up in a way to prioritize those things yeah it's just I I totally agree yeah it's definitely a very big systemic problem and I'm thinking about it a little which I have been aware of don't get me wrong I am thinking about it a little differently now in the sense that how you guys are describing it reminds me of like the whole green movement which I hadn't thought about until like one of my classes in college it was the one we took together Jill the interdisciplinary arts one yes and when they talked about how like we all know about the green everyone like cars were going green and like whatever else and they place the responsibility on the consumer which makes yep. you not realize that it's these big companies that are the bigger problem and yep. it just makes you feel like you have to do this which I mean like there is personal responsibility to an extent but it makes you feel like it's all on the individual and that's not the case so that the same thing applies to this whole mental health thing and I completely agree with you guys and aside from those factors like especially socioeconomic ones, race, gender, all that stuff. It's it's also hard because people who are more privileged have more of a chance to even like sit down and reflect. Like I it's different if you're working, I don't even know how many hours just to put food on the table. Yeah. And that makes it impossible. So like all of that I completely understand. It's when it's like people who have the same privileges as us and are just like doing nothing about it that that's when I'm like what the fuck are you doing like get your shit together like I understand that this life is difficult for everyone but I don't know focus on yourself I know it's hard but that's not that hard keeping your head in the sand isn't like is a privileged act yeah right but I feel like sometimes it's it's the people that are even more privileged than us which I'm like you have literally ample time and resources to put into working on yourself and they just don't yeah well because since they're more privileged than us they don't realize that anything's wrong with them because like yeah well, like, obviously why that's not always the case but if you're exactly if you're extremely well off and things are kind of falling into your lap and yeah you know right your life is running pretty smoothly yeah they're like i'm successful like why should i need to self-reflect and change what I'm doing right, if exactly. this is working for me exactly and then it's, it's so just... bad because those those are the people that run society I know, <laughs> I know. Oh my like, that's God. when they should be doing even more self-reflection exactly well, it should be like you know how like in some jobs like HR will force you to do like a little seminar about you know taking care of yourself and then there that way you'll take care of others just basically like hr seminars yeah about yeah interpersonal relations in the workplace and things like that right when they're their own boss they don't have to do that we need somebody needs to get in charge and make them do that like we need (laughs) we need somebody to step in and be like okay all ceos of giant companies need to go through this type of like 
training. Seriously. Right. An intensive course just for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Curated. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Secure now? Yes, we can move on to the lighter one. The yeah. one that we, we all strive for. Yeah. What it, I mean, it sounds like what it is. <laughs> a secure attachment style is definitely the goal. And it's possible to get there for anyone. And unfortunately, also in the reverse, people with secure attachment style can become insecure, kind of like you mentioned earlier, Jill, depending on circumstances. But there are ways to get there. It's just difficult. There was there was one part in the book that they talked about when I talked about secure attachment styles that I really liked. They described people with that attachment style as like how you relate to your pet. Like there are times when your pet pisses you off. It happens. But and even if you get mad at them, it's like, you know, you're going to get over it. You're never going to stop loving them. And that's that's kind of how it is for them, as opposed to like with an avoidant attachment style. They see those problems. and They're like, oh, I'm out because like I don't deal with this. And it's just easier to leave with an anxious attachment style they might freak out about it. But with a secure attachment style, it's like, we're going to solve this. We love each other and we're going to (laughs) build. Yeah. I feel like that's totally what you and I were talking about last night. Yeah. I was kind of talking about Maine where I, for the again, I definitely have majority secure attachment styles. And because I feel secure with you guys, I definitely behave with you guys the way I behave with my siblings, which is like, I get annoyed with them, but I still love them at the end of the day and would do anything for them, you know, and if anybody else gets annoyed with them, I'm like, they're perfect. They've never done anything wrong. Only I can get annoyed with them or something like that. Um, And so it's interesting. I like you comparing it to a pet in the sense of like, yeah, if we butt heads or something, it doesn't feel good. I'm not like, yeah, whatever. But at the end of the day, I know we're going to be okay. Yeah. And like on the flip side of that, which when we talked about those things, I realized Manx attachment style comes up with even those things because I've had so many people in my life who have abandoned me like it, which I mean, has created (laughs) this attachment style for me. It like makes me think that if there's an issue, I mean, like it doesn't, it's not like every issue makes me think that someone's going to leave me. That's not it at all. But sometimes any sort of issue like makes me feel like, oh, there is a conflict. This person's going to leave. Even if I don't think like, like you guys, I don't, I don't think you guys are going to leave because they're my friends forever, obviously. But yeah. my body still reacts in a way that like that person's going to leave because I'm used to conflict, like ending relationships, people leaving my life with my friends. It's like, essentially like PTSD. I feel like. No, it yeah. really is. Like I'm used to like conflicts, even conflicts that you'd think would be like more minor ones still have left have led to people leaving me so then I don't know it triggers this like defense in me that makes me think like oh this is serious as opposed to accepting that yeah we're annoyed and that's okay because that's just what happens it makes me think like oh annoyed equals conflict equals this is not looking good or something yeah Yeah. (laughs) I feel that too yeah yeah it's interesting because I think honestly having siblings call me annoying all the time (laughs) as a kid has helped me be like yeah I can be annoying but what are you gonna do about it like I don't know I think that that helps like being annoyed with other people and feeling how I when I'm annoyed with my siblings especially my siblings I get so annoyed but like even Chris or you guys not that you guys annoy me a lot but you know (laughs) just like stop tapping your pen or something like that you know like that feeling of like irritation yeah um 
I don't ever feel like anger towards you. And I think that that helps. Like I've also received that from my siblings where they're annoyed with me, but I know they still love them. And that's kind of like how I feel then. Yeah. If somebody's annoyed with me, I'm like, Oh, I've been annoyed with this person. And it doesn't mean that I like hate them or anything. So that's like kind of how I try to look at it of like, everybody can be annoying at some point or another. It doesn't mean like if you're annoying, I don't know. I don't know. I'm rambling now, but basically (laughs) I know that I can be annoying. (laughs) <laughs> and so can everybody and that's just kind of how I try to look at it is everybody's going to do something at some point you know nobody's perfect yeah I, I think every, I mean whenever you describe your dynamic with your family it always is like oh so that's how you create these like healthy no <laughs> healthy <right>. boundaries <laughs> like whatever always and what you're saying it, it's so true it's like I don't know it's like it, in my mind it feels like there's this duality which is something that anyone might health struggles can relate to or mental illnesses just thinking like in black and white and Mm -hmm. it's like oh annoying equals bad it's like oh they're annoying therefore like we're having problems as opposed to being like oh yeah they're annoyed with me and they love me like both can exist at the same time it's not one or the other well and I think too now like reflecting on it again I was like the annoying one (laughs) of my siblings I'm the loudest I'm the spaziest I'm the crybaby like I have all the extreme traits and so I think that that became part of my identity in like a jokey way of like top three personality traits annoying loud bisexual (laughs) those are my my only personality traits (laughs) um and it's I think kind of accepting that I can be annoying has made me feel more like by now you guys know that I can be annoying you we would not be friends for this long if you didn't know that (laughs) you know like there's no way I could have fooled you for five years so I think that that's also like a way you can try to look at it with longer friendships there's no way that all of us haven't annoyed each other at one point or another right yeah we can annoy each other again and still be friends period (laughs) for real though (laughs) okay well more about more management styles so there, I mean, these are things like really, even in the book, they're like, you get it. <laughs> like literally the absence of the, all the things seen in the other attachment styles is what a secure attachment style is. But I guess like some other examples would be that they're typically attuned to physical cues and how to respond to them and their partners. When something happens, their attachment system doesn't get too riled up. It doesn't think it's a threat in the way that someone with an anxious attachment style might feel, but it doesn't shut down in the way that someone who's avoidant might Um, a quote that I liked they mentioned in the section of the book is they said they're programmed to expect their partners to be loving and responsive and don't worry much about losing their partner's love which is like what you just described Nikki basically yeah 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 definitely and I think I in my life situations I haven't experienced a lot of like people leaving which is very lucky of me like I've been lucky my parents have a very loving relationship and have always been very open about their relationship and me and my siblings are all close and Chris and I like broke up for a little bit and got back together so a lot of my relationships have reflected a secure thing and so it makes me I feel like it makes me like then have that mindset with everybody else because I'm like oh why you know why would I be anxious about this relationship and not others right yeah I've definitely lucked out in like the way that relationships have been modeled to me. Yeah, because my family has always been very like communicative, and my mom's also very emotional, which is good in the extent that I grew up seeing somebody be emotional, but 
like expressing emotions and stuff. And I told you guys like a couple weeks ago, my mom, my sister and I had both called my mom to talk and she texted us. It was like, I'm not really in the mood to talk today. Like I'm not in the right headspace. I'll call you tomorrow. And that's like fine. But it's so lucky to have a parent do that because it's made me a more understanding of emotions and be more like communicative communicative of my own because i see what it's like on the receiving end of yeah just tell me that or else i'm gonna be like are you dead in a ditch where are you why you're not answering your phone right right. it's even nice to just have an example of like how to assert yourself and make that boundary that like otherwise some people might feel uncomfortable saying to even their family members yeah definitely yeah there really is i mean (laughs) hearing what she said which i know you already told us about that text before but my mind like my psychological brain is just thinking about all of the benefits of something like that it's like one it teaches you how to assert yourself and talk about your emotions two boundaries three the reassurance that comes with a message like that because it's not like she just said I'm having a bad day which would still be a fine text but it's like I'm having a difficult mental health day I'll call you tomorrow it's like she even states when she'll get back to you which reintroduces security into the dynamic literally woke queen for real yeah we love debbie (laughs) happy mother's day mom (laughs) and that's on mother's day (laughs) yeah i mean it's funny like secure attachment styles is like you said like what you strive for but like what do you even say about them it's like oh you're a healthy relationship yeah that doesn't feel like it's gonna end at any moment and they're they're able to live their life like fully to the dependency paradox yeah they just are able to understand that being dependent on someone doesn't equal like losing yourself in a relationship yeah yeah and like so that speaks to like emotionally avoidant people but also with like anxious attachment styles i and they mentioned this in the book and i thing that I've experienced I've felt like less so in the past couple of years as I've I've worked really hard to like overcome this in whatever way I can it feels like when someone leaves you it really is the end of the world it makes you feel like one how am I ever going to find someone like this which is something that I I've always struggled with and two it makes you feel like it's better to be with someone that's shitty than being alone which that I have overcome a while ago thankfully is how it's hard out here as an anxious attachment style person literally we really be feeling the most (laughs) for real (laughs) yeah um I guess we can like talk a little bit about anxious avoidant relationships and then and then move on yeah if y'all are okay with that yeah the love child yeah no for real though actually (laughs) love child Um, of a toxic relationship that I mean that really is what this is the fact that the book has a whole section for it because it is concoction yeah Yeah. and they they talk about it in the book like they because they they address the question like why does this tend to happen but it does make sense like they explain how I wait can I give a quick can I give a quick comedian comedic break yeah (laughs) um I started the sun was still up when we started and so I was sitting at my desk and the sun has been slowly going down and now the sun's down and I'm sitting in the dark doing this podcast I feel like that is just so icky so I just stood up and brought my laptop and microphone to turn the light on because I was like I'm not gonna be this creepy right now (laughs) (laughs) like something about sitting in the dark is just so gross sitting in the dark like using technology especially it just makes me think of incels a hundred percent like 
God, literally. On. <laughs> With literally pizza boxes on the floor. I'm on yes. 4chan. Like yes. Hacker, hacker man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Trolling the QAnon subreddit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Anyways, back. I just, I felt like that just had to be made it known. Had to. I couldn't allow myself to behave that way without making fun of it. Okay. it's And like- that's on secure attachment. <laughs> I with okay it's funny because I mean you guys know that I'm obsessed with planning and just like being prepared for future stuff I knew that this was gonna set so even when the sun was still up I like turned on all my lights in the kitchen so that I wouldn't be sitting in the darkest when this happens <laughs> so like I, I also thought of that I don't, I don't know who the fuck I was fooling like I knew I knew the sun would set and I was thinking about it too I was like the sun's going down and I'm gonna have to turn my light on but I'm talking to my microphone and my headphones right now and then i just didn't do anything about it so that's my it's gonna stay just for essentially me. Is what I'm saying. yeah <laughs> right this i'm gonna have a little spotlight shining in my window <laughs> and it will be good <laughs> okay so back to this toxic ass dynamic so the book talks about how typically people with an avoidant attachment style tend not to date people who also have that style mainly because they describe it as like they don't have the glue to make them stick. It's like if both people are distant, then they're just not going to have any emotional intimacy. And with someone who's like secure or an anxious attachment style, like they'll at least have the glue that sticks because someone is requiring closeness. But the problem is that it's like the anxious partner wants closeness, which then makes the avoidant person become more distant, which makes then makes like the anxious person feel like their attachment system is activated so they require more closeness and reassurance and it's just this this perpetual cycle that just thinking about is giving me anxiety because it is just the epitome of inner turmoil is what yep. that feels like yep yeah yeah it moral just, of the story oh sorry jill what are you gonna say i was just gonna say it just like activates your attachment style and it never deactivates yes <laughs> oh that is yeah Ugh, that's exactly what it feels like and it's it really it really just takes over everything yeah at least in my experience like even one of the when they were describing one of like the the signs of having an anxious attachment style it talks about how like they tend to ruminate over the relationship even if it's not over a concern necessarily I found that when I've been in situations with people who are emotionally avoidant I'm constantly thinking about them which I do that all the time just because I'm like so obsessed with like love and relationships and stuff but and just like I think about my friends and everyone I love all the time <laughs> but um yeah. but like in those situations it's more like I'm keeping the intimacy alive in my head because if it's not in my head it's not existing in real life so if I'm not doing all the work myself then like nothing is going to keep this make us stick together and I've I realized that that was like one of I learned a lot from this book when I read it I found it at such like an important time in my life but that was one thing that was like damn I'm I'm pretty self-aware and like I most of the things that said in there I already recognized I just didn't know that that was the reason but when I read that specific thing I was like I did not realize I was doing that like I really thought that was just me being me and like fantasizing and always living in my head but it's like no that's that's anxiety yeah yeah there's a reason behind it it's not just like a quirk or something. yeah 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 this book made me feel so normal yeah like, just I I just always felt like I 
was so like strange in a relationship being anxious all the time and that like I was the person that was doing something wrong but this book made me understand that first of all on a scientific and psychological level this is a thing that happens to so many people every person out there has an attachment style whether you like it or not I don't know it just felt so good to be validated in that sense because that's something that I would have never ever like thought to seek out this type of mental health awareness type thing if you had not like brought up this book Aww. a year ago yeah yeah that's I'm awesome. glad no that was that was a moment for us like we were on some attachment science bullshit for I a know, minute I know <laughs> and that was like peak well, quarantine I told too you, I so just, we had the time yeah true I talk about it to my other friend the other night I was like well that's like a symptom of a, an anxious attachment relationship no, why do you think you know and I yeah. went like full psychology but it's it's just crazy once you know it it's like oh my god you see it I know see versions yeah. of it in almost every relationship yeah like I I do the same thing I tell my friends all the time like when they ask for me for relationship advice I'm like okay well first of all whoever you're talking to has this type of attachment style and that's the source of your problems right now because your attachment <laughs> style is not the same so I, it's I think it's yeah. really cool to like inform people about this too because it's something that like I I mean I would never have learned about this otherwise so it's cool yeah to understand this about yourself or well known yeah yeah I agree yes I yeah it's kind of like the source of a lot of other issues that can arise in your life so like I mean there are a lot of reasons why I love being able to understand this because of how helpful it's been in my own understanding of my relationships and like others and stuff like that but I think what's also super helpful about it is that it's like it's accessible in the sense that it's there's such broad categories, but at the same time, it's easy to like categorize people under them. So it's like you have a foundation of where to start with where the issue is. It's like, okay, this person has an avoidant attachment style. So we know these basic traits, but then that person also is an individual with like other things that have shaped them. And then you can build from there as opposed to other things that might be more specific. And it's like, hard for them to fall under it do you guys understand what i'm saying yeah 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 definitely it's everybody can relate somehow it's accessible like you said yeah right because it's not like it's not like it's a mental illness where you're trying to fit someone into characteristics like this is something that's literally innately in everyone i think i don't know if you remember um shaycelle in the book how they talked about kind of like the evolution yes of how attachment styles came about do you remember exactly the the different examples for each one? Um, I I don't remember that much about the specifics. I think I remember reading that like in general, us having an attachment system, which is like a biological mechanism that we have, did originate evolutionarily because people people who were like alone did end up being typically ended up being prey. So it was just like it made sense evolutionarily for people to have partners and stuff like that aside from offspring and everything like that. But I can't remember what the evolutionary reason for like the individual attachment styles were. Cause there was a reason for an anxious one to have originated and then for an avoidant one to have originated. Right. I think like both had to do with survival for sure. Like the anxious one might've been like, if it was like a mom with a kid and like, I don't know, their 
their partner was like hunting and gathering or whatever the fuck (laughs) and like they needed to make sure that they came back for their safety and then the avoidant one might have been which I I could be talking out of my ass right now because I can't remember the specifics but like I can imagine a scenario where that person was stranded for whatever reason and needed to survive on their own and they made it happen so I'm not sure but they do talk about it and it's interesting yeah yeah wait I just found it in the book okay so straight out of the book I'm gonna read this it says in a very dangerous environment it would be less advantageous to invest time and energy in just one person because he or she would not likely be around for too long it would make more sense to get less attached and move on and hence the the avoidant attachment style another option in a harsh environment by the way this is like in prehistoric times like you know our ancestors we're talking cavemen yeah that that type of deal so another option (laughs) another option in a harsh (laughs) environment is to act in the opposite manner and be intensely persistent and hyper vigilant about staying close to your attachment figure hence the anxious attachment style in a more peaceful setting the intimate bonds formed by investing greatly in a particular individual would yield greater benefits for both the individual and his or her offspring hence the secure attachment style so it's really interesting to me to know that like this is straight up like biologically innate inside of us yeah no it makes sense though yeah it feels validating i mean well i'm I'm not gonna go on this tangent but also like i kind of am for a second (laughs) there are drawbacks sometimes to like tying things back to biological things like for example it's a pet peeve of mine, even though I know it's no one's fault. It's because like, if you're not in these psychology classes, you don't learn this. I hate that like mental illness is seen as a imbalance because that literally like theoretically is so far from the truth that it like irks me to no end. Cause wait, I just wait. like, did you said as a what imbalance? It's when people refer to like, when people like, like mental, illness, the chemical imbalance, I like that message in the sense that it makes people be more like oh okay see like it's real because for some the reason why I thought of this is because like I felt more reassured when you said that it is like a biological mechanism given like the evolutionary purpose and I don't know why we have this thing where we think that making it biological makes it more real and reminded me of like with mental health with mental illnesses we we tend to like justify it as being a real thing by saying, Oh, it's a chemical imbalance, which I'm just saying upsets me because it's like theoretically wrong. Cause like that, that just all the science disproves that like, yes, there are imbalances, but that's like such a small amount of like what causes mental illness. Anyways, it's just a tangent to say that like, I, I am, I'm, I feel better that it's a biological mechanism, but also I'm annoyed that we need to see things as like, biological for them to be valid does that make sense yeah yeah definitely yeah because it's like why does why does my experience not count enough right and I guess like it makes sense from like a logical perspective just like it makes things less abstract it makes them more like physical and less of like I don't know I mean abstract is all I can say so yeah yeah. irrelevant just needed to say that yeah (laughs) No, I mean, it's a good point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it do, I do be spitting bars still, so. <laughs> Straight facts. True. True. All right. Do we have any finishing thoughts on attachment styles before we move on to our dumb movie? <laughs> I don't um, think so. No, I don't think so. I feel like we've 
we've talked about a lot so a lot to digest much to think about everyone go read attached by amir levine and rachel heller it will it will change your life (laughs) guys i swear by this book it really (laughs) changed my life honestly it's a good like for real it's not an alternative to therapy but i think it's a nice way to aid in your self growth it's a good way to aid in your self-growth if you're not able to actually go to therapy and see I so a professional agree. person. I've read a lot of self-help books, and this one's probably been, like, the most instrumental in my self-growth. Yeah. So I agree with that. Although, don't be turned off by the cover. I hate that this cover says this. It literally kind of invalidates the science behind it to me almost. It, like the, the main title is Attached, but it says Attached, the new science of adult attachment and how it can help you find and keep love. And it's like, why mm. why did you it have sounds to make like it a, like that? It sounds like a pickup artist book. I know. <laughs> it's like, bro, that is like not the message. The science of, of women. Yeah, <laughs> basically. And like, yeah, it does have to do that in the sense that it tells people with anxious attachment styles that it's like, yeah, be honest about your needs because they're valid. So it's like, yeah, true. But also don't don't market it like that i know yeah Yeah. right like it's not like here's a how-to guide on like keeping a relationship it's not a dating book yeah yeah it's it's like a self-reflection book right (laughs) maybe they're trying to like fool people into getting it i know they're they're like y'all have issues and y'all are blaming it on you know bad dating advice but really it's your problem so i'm gonna trick you into reading about it like maybe they're trying to market it to dudes who really are like where's the how-to guide to pick up a woman so they pick up this book and they read it and they're like oh damn i'd be emotionally avoidant yeah yeah (laughs) it really does work for both audiences i mean in the book they really they definitely cater more to anxious attachment styles and they talk about how like the most beneficial to that style which i agree with sometimes even though like it's in favor of my attachment style so it's like i respect it but i can see how like it kind of seems like they're shit talking emotionally avoiding people sometimes which like yeah. i mean you know i like shit talking them but right. i can see how it turn people off but what i'm trying to say is like if a pickup artist saw this book they'd learn typically be on the avoidant side of things and i can imagine someone with an anxious attachment style wanting to find a dating book because they're just like you know trying to find someone and they're like oh this is the book and then they're like damn i learned something so much more important yeah yeah this is what's really going on yeah for real so they'd be doing something with that name i guess yeah i know know. we just analyzed it like maybe maybe they did it right Right. Maybe they're just bad at marketing, you know. Yeah, or no. <laughs> that. Maybe they, they either they were giving about them it. too much credit. Uh, yeah, they either put way too much thought into it or none at all. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, it's like in the Nathan for You dumb Starbucks where people are like, "Wow, it's a commentary oh, on capitalism," and he was like. It's literally a ploy to make money. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, I just wanted to make this other coffee shop more money. <laughs> yeah. That's us right now. Okay. Well, to end on a stupid note, <laughs> yeah. let's talk about our stupid movie of the week. Yes. <laughs> Breaking Wind. <laughs> it doesn't even sound like a movie title. Like I was I thinking about when we post it, like, I mean, we're going to like headline that we're talking about the movie, but just breaking wind is like we're talking about farts farts. yeah we're just talking about (laughs) farts. the topic of our podcast this week (laughs) farts farting (laughs) i will let me just say i know i've said this to you guys before 
because apparently this is important for me to say, <laughs> for me to say it more than once, the word fart is so much funnier than poop. <laughs> and I feel like people throw poo and poop out there as like a potty <laughs> word. Fart is funnier. We need to use that more because it's just like oh it packs God. more of a punch. In it my packs opinion. a punch. Like I like from I'm a linguistic fart. perspective, I feel like it packs a punch, even in the, the like, way that it's naturally enunciated. Yeah, right. Exactly. Because like poop is like he he like I know like like the, quiet. like, like giggle. Timid. Yeah, but like fart with the R and the hard T at the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> fart. <laughs> Did y'all see that new Breaking Wind movie? <laughs> Nikki, the way I hear that in my mind all the time when you said that, I will never get over. Okay, for context, when we watched this movie, we were, well, before watching it, we found it. We were like, who the fuck is watching this? Because the thing is, like, there was like it's, a... Okay, it's a Breaking Dawn parody. We still haven't yeah. even said oh, that. Oh, right. We haven't even said <laughs> Okay, because the thing is, like, there is, like, a a larger scale, more high production parody movie of Twilight. I'm pretty sure it's Vampires Suck. Yeah. Which yeah. was still a god-awful movie, but it's, like, that one was in theaters and stuff. So, like, the fact that that's already just trash cinema, and then there's breaking wind, like, <laughs> you were like, that's just straight. <laughs> it was like, that. yeah, that's literally why I said it like that, because it's, like, the only person who is looking forward to seeing it, like, <laughs> still owns a VCR and, like, the entire on top of the tv and like does not know about other forms of media and that's why he's looking forward to it okay so so i i truly cannot say much about this movie because that just like last week's dead. movie, that's when I was I was not on this planet. Out with of the, that you edible. were out of the office. I was out. I was out to lunch. Yeah, so I was literally, <laughs> literally out to lunch. Well, okay. So as we said, it's a it was a Breaking Dawn parody. Yeah, and it's like I I there was just a ton of fart jokes in it, which like I know the title is a fart title, but I still was not ready for all the fart jokes. I know. Like I was like, and to me. Oh my god, this is gonna have to be talked about on another podcast. Podcast, but Larva Island. Oh, oh, Jill. That... <laughs> yeah, what is that? It we, like an it's, Animal Crossing. So, thing. Nikki, you can explain. So, yeah. So, my brother, my brother Cole, he's about to turn twenty, so he's a little, a little hipper than us. Oh, but um, he's like, he's just like Jill. You and him would get along really well. Like, well, very like yeah, mean, Cole. But Cole, also let's like, hang out. Okay. Shout out. I'll tell him. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's um, the yeah. Th- yeah, that's the invite. So he we all hung out last night and we like got stoned and Cole was like, "Have you seen Larva Island?" And we're like, w-. and Shaysel's eating and Shaysel goes, "Can I eat during it?" Cuz like it's, it's so disgusting. <laughs> we're thinking of like maggots and I shit. Literally, like, <laughs> straight up like lo- like an island of straight maggots. But what it was was it's like these two like cartoon larva <laughs> and it's like them on the island but they like can't speak and they use their tongue like because their larva don't have like limbs they like use their tongues to move around oh. and they are just constantly farting and i don't know like what that's their it thing is. it's their shit <laughs> yeah it's that they like and it's like it does the most like purely 
immature depiction of a fart where it's like the green cloud (laughs) and like the like (laughs) noise and like and then they like thank you chris does it a lot because cody and noel do it a lot and so i I was gonna say it it sounds like a cody i love it. yeah yeah so i picked it up thank you it's a talent um i'm not like other girls (laughs) i think really good fart fart noises but um it's just so weird it's and like when they smell their (laughs) god just trying to speak objectively explaining this right now is so weird i mean Um, is it like a short thing like it's it's like like seven seven minutes it's a kid's show it's a kid's show this definitely can't be like a full-length movie (laughs) can you yeah well there is they also have a movie joe there is a movie so (laughs) jokes on you um but uh when they smell the fart whether it's their own or the other ones there's only two of them red and yellow and yellow sucks like team red all the way also but, those um, are their names by the way yeah and ready red. and then they they met this oh my god actually they like met this really cute girl maggot her name is mango and she's like, she a, a bad, bad bitch. bitch yeah she like throws spears and shit and she oh. like rescues them yeah so she's actually a queen we love mango anyways when they smell the fart is what I'm trying to say is they literally like change a different color and like shrivel up and like pass out because the fart smells so bad. Like, and I don't know what it is about fart jokes. Now again, I find the word fart very funny, but when like fart jokes are like acted out, I like feel so uncomfortable because I'm like, this is so stupid that I don't want to laugh, but I feel like I'm supposed to laugh. So I'm going to like chuckle but it's like not actually funny but then it's funny that it's making me laugh because it's so stupid but i'm laughing because i'm uncomfortable but that in itself is funny like it's just like i have such a weird relationship with fart jokes jill it's an avoidant attachment (laughs) it's a fart (laughs) jill the thing is like in the show it was like the first episode we watched, which was the pilot episode of this season, because also apparently there was a show before Netflix took it up that was yeah. like lar- the Larva, but like in NYC. <laughs> yeah, they and it's they live they live in the sewers, and the whole thing is like what falls through the sewers, little adventures, and then this one is it's Larva Island because they're like we think are shipwrecked. They, yeah, we think that they somehow ended up there, and that's that was their story. But the thing is, like the first episode, it starts off. I'm pretty sure it starts off by Red like eating this like mushroom thing and then he gets oh. super gassy i thought he i thought it, he was poisoned because he like imagine he turns purple red. he turns purple and i'm like what the fuck and then he starts farting all over the place and they <laughs> they do the they just they do the thing where like he like flies up with his like farts <laughs> like a fart rocket thing and it's like what am i watching scene- and it goes on for so long the scene where yellow is curled up because his stomach hurts so bad <laughs> and then he starts farting and since he's in a circle he's like spinning <laughs> uh, it's just like so like what upsets me what really gets to me is that there are adults writing yep. this approving yeah. this animating it putting sounds to it producing it being paid to make this yeah paying millions to <laughs> have this happen because it is relatively like high production like the yeah. animation is good and you know what i'm gonna watch it again yeah at some you know point what? I it know did the job it. Yeah. it did the job you know i'm about to finish off. that season i know i'm like i'm definitely gonna watch more of it because i want to know what happens with mango now right okay but anyway, back to breaking wind. Yeah. That wasn't Larva, even the... Larva Island was our honorary stupid media of yeah, the day. <laughs> right. 
So, but yeah, so there was a lot of fart jokes and it's like, I don't know what else I expected because it's called Breaking Wind. But I don't know, Joe, what, what stuck out to you the most from that movie? Okay, first of all, the thing that sticks out to me the most is that this is this is a one-off movie. Like there is no there's no spoof of like the other movies. Yeah, why did like, they choose Breaking they, Dawn? I know, like they chose to parody the the fourth film. I feel like it's even, because like, they were two. like I feel like it's cuz they're like Breaking Wind is too perfect to pass up. Like I I really truly I, yeah, believe that that's yeah. why they chose Breaking Dawn cuz like what would you True. change Twilight to? Right. Cuz I mean Oh, no, I know like, what they changed it to because I remember when the first movie, when Twilight came oh out. Oh my god, I'm like scared now. There was the same level of like shittiness. I think honestly, this one might have been worse. There was a movie called Taint Light. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what they would change it to. You might as well just call it Fleshlight at that point. <laughs> Taint Light. <laughs> I swear that's the name. I'm looking it up, but you guys continue. Literally, that is crass. That is the it's definition so of crass. crass. And it's me, 13 years old, watching. Oh, yeah, it's real. 2009. Actually, not even 13. I don't know how, how old I would have been. We're born but in 97. I, yeah, yeah. Love that for us. Okay, so then what's the next one? Yeah, so. What, fuck, what comes after Twilight? It's New Moon Eclipse and Breaking Dawn. Yeah. Okay. New boob. <laughs> new boob. <laughs> and then E-tits. <laughs> <laughs> Now it's a movie about tits. <laughs> well, I'm just trying. And it culminates to breaking with. <laughs> yeah. We changed the theme. All right. Sorry, Joe. Keep going. Yeah. So also, um, Danny, Danny Trejo. Is that how you say his name? He's in oh. this movie. The guy who's machete. No. Oh, my f-ing God. <laughs> Do you remember that? Part I completely <laughs> forgot. What that. is he from? What is he? From? He's in he's Spy like, Kids. Like He's known oh as my like. God. His name doesn't he go by Machete? Yeah, that's basically. what I thought. That's like his yeah. name, basically. But he's how been do you, in like, like how do you get there? Like how do you yeah. get to that point in your life? Right. <laughs> that that's this what man you're is seventy six years old. Damn, I did not know that. Can you imagine like these people have family and friends, and they're gonna be like, "What's the new movie you're working on?" <laughs> and you have to say that. I have to say breaking oh, like no. it's a Breaking Dawn parody. And they pretty much did it. (laughs) They pretty much did it. Like they followed the exact storyline. They just made it farty and and, like stupid. Yeah, so so stupid. There's there's a whole ass (laughs) little Edward. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's he's a player. What was there's like point. Him being the, in the because movie. he ended up being the baby daddy spoiler alert oh. yeah so there's like a little person edward they call him little edward which again is just like definitely i mean i can't speak on this necessarily but i feel like that's offensive yeah. and it's um at the end when like bella's pregnant with renesme which still will go down as the dumbest name in history um <laughs> i did not even know that's how you pronounce that yeah because it's renee and esme so renesme oh yeah because it's their two moms mixed together oh. mother's day shout out Aww. um and so <laughs> <to Renesme. laughs> shout out to renesme um wait and no had- renesme is the sorry i'm realizing renesme is the baby yeah as okay i thought you were saying renesme was the mom no okay, no no i was mind. saying renesme is renee and esme are I the see. two moms i see and then renesme is the baby and little edward was renesme's baby daddy it wasn't actually edward <laughs> that was his point 
Classic. Wait, yeah. can I just read off the plot keywords on IMDb Please. for this? Diarrhea is number one. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's gay kiss. What? <laughs> what? I think, do what? they make Edward and Jacob kiss at some point? I Maybe. don't even remember. Then there's cringe comedy spoof and fight. Fight. the way the way the those way- tags are are less bad than the ones for songbird oh my God, i know can we talk about how fight is so generic that like that would be breaking wind would then be listed alongside like fight club yeah fight. because if you're God. going by fight can you imagine <laughs> like i feel like that does not depict breaking wind right. at all god yeah so that was a horrible movie that we yeah. spent like our quality time like our own no really really though our the the few nights we had together (laughs) and i'm you know i have no qualms with this but the few (laughs) nights we had together we're like breaking wind it's like yeah we're like this is it we found it and we were like hell yeah (laughs) yeah exactly what the doctor ordered literally though there's just i can't remember like a single actual plot point because first of all the scenes i felt like none of them went together like they all were like standalone it felt like a bunch of skits it felt like skits all lined up yeah right like i don't understand the plot right now like the only way you would know the plot is if you had seen the actual breaking dawn movie which like i mean i don't know why you would watch a spoof of that if you haven't yeah, seen you it have, before, yeah. but because like, that's the only version you have access to, right? <laughs> the breaking way movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, can you yeah. imagine thinking that that's like, oh my like God. I don't think anybody actually out there, but just object, like theoretically, can you imagine somebody out there thinks that that's like the real <laughs> production, the actual one? I am looking this up. Yeah. Right now, I looked up breaking wind net worth. That is not. <laughs> How much is my fart worth? Okay, let's. Did it say? I'm looking at the movie. Does it? It's gonna have cost like twenty bucks to make and made twenty five dollars. I swear. It says that the worldwide gross was almost two million dollars, but I don't see how much what? like production cost at all. That is absurd. I know that doesn't make literally any sense it, w- it was released in italy also like what like i don't know why italy <laughs> i don't know why that would be the place that they choose to release it first like why is that the premiere area <laughs> yeah there's high like, demand there they're, they're like italians will love this <laughs> like you know you know what eat country this shit that's literally like yeah. ra- not racist but like discriminatory but like low-key yeah. yeah. low <laughs> they're like yeah we know that this will slap in italy it's like fuck yeah. you like yeah. that is insulting <laughs> yeah but also clearly it made two million it worked <laughs> yeah. we're just validating them i know damn any final thoughts questions comments concerns I'm very teacher concerned and about whoever POV, I'm a teacher ending class. Oh. <laughs> questions, comments, concerns, any comment, questions about the homework? The bell doesn't dismiss you, I do. <laughs> that was the worst. I'm like, the bell literally does dismiss us. Yeah. I truly wish I had more to say about Breaking Wind, but you know. 
we're just gonna have to watch it again i guess i oh. guess i guess that's what this Damn. means i did i did tell Allie that we need to watch it because i just need her to experience oh, she'll this, love it. this movie out she will movie for sure this is right also i f- <laughs> i truly mean that in a nice way yeah. no i know yeah, that no. sounds like an insult i just know she would oh get you a, know who would like she this? would get a Allie. kick out of it yeah. no, no literally though it's a like i mean hoot. The fact that we bond over the fact that we grew up with the same trash media is just fantastic. I've never had that bond with anyone else. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> True. She is. You should watch it with her. It'll yeah. be a good experience for yeah. you guys. Level up your friendship. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Well. How do we want Any final this? thoughts in general? Attachment styles, breaking so. wind, life? I don't think so. Yeah. No. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in again. Hopefully you learned some stuff about yourself and about the Twilight franchise. It's very educational. <laughs> um, and you can find us on SoundCloud and on Spotify. We're posting every Tuesday sometime after 3 p.m. We need to be better about <laughs> posting at a specific time. But uh, yeah, thanks again for tuning in. Bye. Bye.